Hello and welcome to another episode of The Age is for Human, the podcast that centers on the human in HIV. Each episode brings you content on the human side of research, health, well-being, and community. The Age is for Human is sponsored by the legacy project of the Office of HIV AIDS Network Coordination, HANC. My name is Pedro Boicochea and I will be your host today. And continuing with the topic of our previous episode, the health of transgender people, episode 5 will be devoted to research being conducted about the health of transgender women in the context of the Division of AIDS research agenda. For this episode, we have three guests that will be talking to us about how the Division of Faith approaches research about transgender people issues, and secondly, what research is being planned and conducted specifically related to transgender women. Our guests in this episode are Rona Siskin, Health Specialist at the Division of AIDS, Dr. Tonya Petit, researcher of the HIV Prevention Trials Network, HPTN, and principal investigator of the IAM study. And Dr. Jordan Lake, researcher of the AIDS Clinical Trials Group, ACTE, and principal investigator of the Get It Right study. These two studies will evaluate the interaction of gender-affirming therapy using feminizing hormone with the use of antiretroviral medications for the treatment of HIV infection or for the prevention of HIV acquisition as pre-exposure prophylaxis prep. So let's start with a brief round of introduction from our guests. Hi everyone, I'm Rona Siskind. I work at the Division of AIDS. I'm a health specialist in the Office of Workforce Operations, Communications and Reporting. I've been with the division for over 30 years now and I work primarily in communications and community engagement. My name is Tonya Petit. I'm an associate professor at the University of North Carolina in the Department of Social Medicine. I'm affiliated with the Center for Health Equity Research, and I've been conducting research in partnership with trans communities for over a decade. Thank you for having me very much. So I'm Dr. Jordan Lake. I'm an HIV and gender care provider here at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston, and I have also a significant interest in research, both for adults living with HIV and for transgender women, because there are many scientific questions that we need to answer for both of those communities to optimize health. Thank you for accepting our invitation to episode five of the Ages for Human. We are honored and privileged to have you all here sharing first-hand information of the research that is currently being planned and being conducted with transgender women. Our guests in episode 4, Maria Roman Taylorson and Jessica Xavier, both long-standing activists of the transgender community in the United States, discuss the health priorities and the research needs of transgender women. So, to continue with this discussion, Discussion. Why don't you just share your opinions regarding what you think are the health needs of transgender women? Well, I think transgender women often experience a number of physical and mental health problems and certainly face a great deal of stigma and discrimination that ultimately impacts their willingness and ability to seek out health care services. Unfortunately, they're also the fastest growing population of people living with HIV and their chances of acquiring HIV are about 40 times greater than that of other adults of reproductive age. 
So I think HIV is clearly an important factor in their lives. This is particularly true for transgender women of color. In fact, the CDC's 2019-2020 National HIV Behavioral Surveillance Report said that 42% of transgender women in seven U.S. cities were found to be living with HIV. And again, there were significant differences by race and ethnicity. So for Black transgender women, it was 62% were living with HIV. For Latinx, 35%. And for white transgender women, 17%. I'm really glad that you asked that because we did a study recently in North Carolina and South Carolina focusing on HIV in the South. And we asked actually people to tell us <laughs> what their priorities were. And they pretty much aligned with what we had seen in other kinds of research. Major priorities include things that are not related necessarily to healthcare, like preventing violence against transgender people, which is really a global epidemic, accessing basic standards of living like employment and housing and things like that that are difficult to acquire because of stigma and discrimination. People also rank highly access to gender-affirming care, access to being able to have identity documents that matched with their gender, and having insurance coverage if they had insurance that paid for the gender-affirming care. So those are people's um, biggest priorities. We did ask people if HIV prevention or care was one of their priorities, and it didn't actually rank very high. And I think that is because people face such enormous barriers in terms of violence and housing and employment that it's hard to think about HIV. And to start talking about research, Rona, can you share with us what does the National Institutes of Health do with regards to transgender people's health through the Division of AIDS? So we do a couple of things. At the end of 2014, the division created what's called the Cross-Network Transgender Working Group, and that was in response to a request from community partners for greater inclusion of transgender people across our clinical trials networks. And the group meets quarterly with the goal of fostering coordination, communication, and an exchange of information related to transgender issues across what is now four research networks. And the primary goal there is really to ensure that we have an HIV research environment that promotes transgender inclusion, especially in racial and ethnic minority communities. The first thing that the Cross-Network Transgender Working Group did was look at the issue of data collection. So we developed the template and we really encouraged and facilitated its use across all of our networks. But we also looked at staff training and cultural awareness and in response to that, developed a five-part training curriculum. We solicited input from subject matter experts, transgender individuals, gender nonconforming individuals, researchers, site staff, and together we identified five content areas. At the end, we developed these e-learning modules, and the modules are accompanied by PowerPoint presentations, as well as facilitators guides in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. And that's so that they can be used for in-person trainings and can be modified for in-person trainings based on the intended audience. The modules themselves address a range of areas, including an introduction to transgender communities, 
HIV and transgender communities, creating a gender-affirming HIV research environment, clinical considerations for transgender participants in HIV research, and finally, trauma-informed care for transgender participants in HIV research. They're all available on the DAIDS Learning Portal, and we've made them very broadly accessible to anybody who's interested. We have several studies that are currently underway that really are addressing some key priorities, and I'll be happy to talk a little bit about them. One study is called the Get It Right Study, also known as ACTG 5403. That's being planned in the AIDS Clinical Trials Group. There's also the IAM study, or HPTN 091, and that's being um, done in the HIV Prevention Trials Network. And that study is looking at the integration of HIV prevention, gender-affirming care, and peer health navigation for transgender women and other trans-feminine people in the Americas. And finally, there's another study that's being done outside of our clinical trials network, and that's called the LIGHT study. LIGHT stands for Limited Interaction Targeted Epidemiology to Advance HIV Prevention. And it was designed to look at ways that cisgender men who have sex with men and transgender people use social media as a way to find each other and to determine if those social media interactions can be used by public health professionals and researchers for the purposes of HIV prevention. Thank you, Rona. Very interesting activities and especially available resources on the DATES training portal. And Dr. Lake, what would you say are the research priorities of transgender women's health? A major bucket uh, of, of questions. There, there's a lot of questions that go in this bucket, but it relates to gender-affirming hormonal therapies, specifically estrogen-based feminizing therapies. We know a lot of information, specifically in the context of women living with HIV, about hormones and HIV medications from birth control literature and hormone replacement therapy for perimenopausal cisgender women. But these are all low dose therapies. And we know at those low doses, there doesn't really seem to be any interactions with the HIV medications that would be worrisome. But we do know, for example, Estrogen changes some of the inflammation in your body. Estrogen changes your blood sugar and your cholesterol. And that's even at low doses. Cisgender women who, particularly who smoke and are over 35, taking estrogen puts them at increased risk for heart, heart disease, heart attack, and stroke. We really need data about what happens when you're taking high-dose estrogen. So a major question specific for trans women living with HIV or trans women on PrEP is, is there a more significant drug-drug interaction between antiretrovirals and estrogen at these very high doses? And then we want everyone to be able to have access to hormones and to be able to safely use them at whatever doses are appropriate for that person. And so we need to learn more about the metabolic changes that happen with this very high dose estrogen and how we can give people access to the hormones that are very important to them, but also keep them as healthy as possible in other ways. So prevent diabetes, prevent heart disease, 
prevent other problems that are, are normal aging problems, but might be modified by estrogen. So those are some big research questions for both myself and the field. How can we help, you know, people live their most healthy life while they're using these therapies? Dr. Petit, what is your perspective on this? I think it's getting interventions are a bigger priority. Community members have told us that researchers come and they ask the same questions over and over again, specifically around HIV behaviors and risk factors, but they don't see the results of that in terms of intervention. Dr. Petit, as principal investigator of the HPTN091, can you tell us a bit more about this study? So HPTN091, is called the I am study. It was named by the community with an opportunity for people to fill in all the things that they are like, I am brilliant, I am smart, I am beautiful. And the focus is really to provide evidence for whether or not combining gender affirming care with HIV prevention services, particularly pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP, increases uptake, adherence, and persistence, meaning continuing to take PrEP. So for the intervention piece, we are providing gender-affirming hormone therapy, peer health navigation, and strength-based case management as part of the package of gender-affirming services. And everyone obviously is offered PrEP. For the first uh, six months, only half of the participants uh, received that package of services, randomized. And then for the remainder of the study, both arms receive all of the services. There are four sites in the United States, in New York, California, Pennsylvania, and Texas. And there is one site in Brazil. And we did site visits for all the sites and asked to meet with community members as well as the researchers. And I think we were most impressed by the Brazil site's ability to connect with the community. The community was very eager and excited. Many, many, many people showed up. It was an overflowing room of people who were there to talk with us about the study and their level of excitement. And I think because access to gender-affirming hormone therapy is much more difficult in that setting, it's not easy in the United States by any means, but it's much more difficult in that setting. So people were eager to have access to hormone therapy. So the study is intended for each enrollee. The study lasts 18 months. So for our audience to understand, What is gender-affirming therapy? So gender-affirming therapy broadly refers to care that really acknowledges and I think accepts and promotes really someone's felt gender. So I'm a woman and I ask to be treated like a woman, you treat me like a woman. You use the pronouns I want you to use, use the name I want you to use, you respect my gender. There are gender-affirming medical services, which is what we're referring to here, like hormone therapy, which helps somebody's body align with the gender that they identify with. So for the participants in the 091 study, we're offering feminizing hormone therapy or estrogen to feminize to support the feminization of someone's body. And going back to HPT 091, what was the contribution of the community to the design of this study? Thank you for reminding me of that. So, There was a bit of a push and pull between scientific rigor, which many research scientists consider a randomized controlled trial where half of the people get 
uh, an intervention and half the people don't. And then the community members did not want that. They felt that not being offered hormone therapy was withholding something that was important to them. And the scientists were like, how do you answer the question of whether or not it's important to provide it along with this care if we don't test it? So there's the things the community knows and the things that science wants to prove. And that was the balance that we had to strike. So the original protocol was taken to the communities and actually not warmly accepted by them. And we listened and brought that to the HPTN leadership and struck, I think, what's a compromise, a deferred arm. So instead of one arm never gets the intervention, we have one arm that gets the intervention later. But I think it was a beautiful example of how community and scientists can work together, not always holding hands and singing songs, but coming to a place where the protocol really works to answer a research question and to meet community. One thing I'm really excited about is in addition to um, answering quantitative questions about people's adherence, we are also including two sub-studies. One is a qualitative sub-study that enrolls a, a subset of the participants and asks them really in-depth questions about their experience, both their experience with PrEP, uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis, experience with access to care, and also their experience being in the study. And I think that'll be really valuable information to hear in the participant's own words. And then the second is a drug hormone interaction sub-study. There have been issues raised in the past about concerns from the community about whether taking um, medications to prevent HIV will interfere with their hormones. And we don't have a lot of evidence that that's the case, but it's really important for us to scientifically answer that question for the community. Thank you, Dr. Petit. Dr. Lake, can you tell us about the Get It Right study? So the Get It Right study now is several years old in, in the fact that myself and some other investigators initially came to the ACTG in 2018 with multiple questions and asking for a study focused on trans women and their health issues. And what we started doing at that time is we formed a transgender working group at the AIDS Clinical Trials Group. And we had meetings and we did surveys and we talked to community advisory boards and we really found out internationally and domestically what are the priorities for research from the trans woman's point of view. And then we asked people to rank one to 10 if they had to choose what would be most important for them. And then we compiled all this information and had some uh, meetings with the community about it. And, and we made a report for the ACTG. And the top priority on our list, based on the feedback we got from the community was concern about drug-drug interactions between antiretroviral therapies and hormones. So, since that was a top priority from the community feedback, we designed Get It Right, which is the first study focused on trans women in the ACTG. And its primary goal is to look two things. One is at the doses of estrogen that are frequently used by trans women. Is there any kind of drug interactions between estrogen and the HIV medicines, meaning is there any sign that the estrogen is going to make the HIV medicine less effective? 
we anticipate that there will not be any sign of that, that the HIV medicines will be just as effective no matter how much estrogen you're taking. But nobody's ever proven that, so we need to prove that so everybody can feel comfortable. And then the second uh, major question is, do the HIV medicines in any way slow or change effectiveness of the estrogen-based therapies? Of course, hormones are not for everybody, and they're not for every season of life, but for people who are choosing and, and desire to be on hormones, we really want to know in the context of HIV, how do we provide both of those in the safest way, in the way that is least likely to cause any side effects, and that is allowing for both of those therapies, the HIV therapy and the gender-affirming therapy, to work at its fullest. We're proposing to enroll almost 100 trans women into this study, and it will be open to both U.S. sites and international sites. And the trans women in the study do need to be suppressed on their HIV medicine, so they need those medicines need to be working well for that person, and they need to be wanting to start estrogen-based hormones. And then we follow everybody for a year as we start hormones and then turn up the doses to what the participant is satisfied with. And we are just monitoring many different things. But the primary things that we're going to be monitoring are efficacy of the HIV medicines and efficacy of the estrogen. Thank you so much for this relevant information. Do you have any final comments or thoughts for our audience today? I guess as expressing some gratitude that um, for community members that kept pushing the, the research community to do this work, for the researchers within the community that advocated and pushed forward the community agenda. I'm just grateful for people's persistence in getting this done and hope that we'll be able to answer some questions and that funders and implementers will then respond to the data and make sure that communities have what they need. We're just very excited to you know, be able to start this work. We've put a lot of thought into it and we have a lot of community members involved and, and everyone's been, you know, working so hard on this that we're just looking forward to it. We hope the sites are looking forward to it. And if anybody has any questions, they should feel free to reach out. Rona, Dr. Petit and Dr. Lake, thank you so much for making the time to share with our audience what is being done in terms of research with and for transgender women and the transgender community. We hope to have you back again soon in another episode of The Age is for Human. And to our audience, please stay tuned for another episode of The Age is for Human. Do not forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your acquaintances, colleagues, friends, and family. And with me, it will be until next time in a new episode of The Age is for Human, the podcast that centers on the human in HIV.